Hey everybody and welcome to Get Your AI On, the podcast. I'm Ciprian Borodescu and this podcast is brought to you by Morphle, the AI platform for e-commerce. I'm the host of the show and every episode I invite founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and even AI researchers to share with us their experience in dealing with business problems that can be solved through intelligent use of data. This is episode number 16. Let's get your AI on. I'm here with Andras Bole, co-founder and CEO at Lightmass Dynamics, where he's building a more efficient foundation for real-time 3D graphics and simulation. I'm super excited to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Andras. Much obliged. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, you and I met at Techstars Montreal AI, and I remember being extremely impressed with your personal background, where Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a big part of it, but also tennis. <laughs> uh, your story as a founder and entrepreneur, and I guess your personal philosophy, which I hope we'll get to. Uh, in a moment. <laughs> no problem. And I wanted to invite you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you founded Lightmass Dynamics. I was like, since I was a kid, due to basically my parents, um, one being a mathematical physicist and economist, and the other being a lawyer in foreign affairs, essentially. I was constantly in like two places at the same time. Like on, on the one hand, there was this very analytical, very scientific side. And the other was very, you know, humanistic, um, uh, intuis, intu, intuitive, excuse me. Um, and it kind of constantly, you know, at, at play with 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 each other, and it was a huge. Um, I didn't realize this obviously as as I was growing up, but it was um, a, a very defining uh, dynamic for me because even if you, for example, look at not just my interests and hobbies, etc., but like my formal education is 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 probably a very very nice reflection of that because. I have, you know, the two sides. On the one hand, I am a philosopher uh, by education, and on the other hand, a computer scientist, which, you know, nets a, uh, a current trajectory of doing a PhD in neuroscience. So it is a very, uh, uh, you know, um, it was a very eye-opening uh, kind of thing that. Uh, when I started to think about this um, duality in in my thinking and the sports angle that you mentioned um, was kind of, you know, just a regular adolescent um, trying all sorts of, and even be, before adolescence, you know, a kid trying all sorts of sports from athletics and tennis. Tennis was actually one of the more serious sports I did up until 18 years old, where I uh, kind of you know, 
shifted out due to various uh, uh, situations. I still play it more as a you know a casual hanging out with friends. Um, but 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 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was was basically one sport that kind of defined my adulthood or growing up. When did you pick that up? I picked that up when I was so basically eleven years ago. Uh, 11... Okay, so it was after your kind of like tennis. Yes, yes. When that's... you started tennis, so after that, okay. Yes, yes. Um, and I like I'm I'm in it for 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 the long run. You know, I don't I'm a black belt, but I don't train with any sort of um, intent to like get formal uh, uh, formal advancement. Let's say I I just yeah I I just I I find it such a um, winding web of events that have no solution in a way that it's a it, it's just a, a increasingly satisfying problem to solve because there's no bottom to it right every answer has a new question that has a new answer that has a new question and um not to you know go into overly philosophic uh, uh, uh waters here since it's an ai podcast but there's a lot of character lessons to be had in in the sports of uh, i mean martial arts in general but in in in, in brazilian jiu-jitsu and in turn also in mixed martial arts where i kind of had my first yep. um experience as a leader uh, which translated super well into later, you know, entrepreneur years, um, because I was essentially, you know, helping to, to, to teach and to lead men into combat, basically. Um, and I was very young, you know, for, for that type of work, but there was something about how I broke down techniques and, and situations in, in, uh, in a fight environment that made people, you know, follow my lead. Um, and also the, it, it's a very, un, in a way, it's a very uncompromising, um, environment because you constantly have to back your shit up, you know, to, to use a conversational word. It's not enough that you just show something and, um, you know, break down a technique, there's also this huge aspect of making it happen in a sparring environment, you know, so so there's this um, uh, very, very, very powerful parallels with um, leadership in entrepreneurial yeah. environments. But to, to go back and finish your question, how, like, Lightmass is um, it's on my first rodeo, it's actually my I mean, it depends on when you start, but technically it's my third. My first one was way back at the beginning of university, end of high school, beginning of university, where I was making a sample audio loops for sound libraries. Um, and at the shift of the music industry, you know, it was the Napster era, MP3 um, shook up the market and also, the digital audio workstations started to change the game and how music was made and, and produced and recorded. So that was my first. Um, I remember those times, the romantic times, yeah. 
<laughs> romantic time. Yeah. Um, so the second, the uh, then after that failed, I got caught up in 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 the university track, and for the longest time, I actually wanted to 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 stay at, and in school um, and teach in, in university, and maybe I I even taught in high school for a few months, um, and I loved it. But uh, then, um, what did you taught? What was the, the history and philosophy? Uh, it, it was more. It, it was an extended period because as part of of uh, 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 learning um, or studying, sorry, you have um, obligatory classes in high school. Yeah. Um, just a few days. Uh, but I I liked it, and a teacher because I I was doing it in the high school that I went to, and I knew all the teachers, and one of one of them was on a maternity leave and I said, yeah, I, I'll try and, you know, filling a few hours there. So it ended up being a bit longer than expected. Um, and I loved it. Um, so that was, you know, it took a five, six years that I was pursuing that. But then my, my, my friends from computer science were making an app and one thing led to another. And, you know, two years in, we were making a game and on our way to, to Montreal, incidentally, where we, you know, we were backed by a, uh, an excellent, uh, early stage investor called Execution Labs. And that, hold on, I forgot already. Uh, it was year, year and a half, uh, was very promising, very prospective team. Uh, you know, we had solid technology. This was just on the, on the verge. Of Unity, and we were doing a cross-platform, real-time thing, and we were just, you know, maybe a year too soon, and um, we essentially, uh, you know, we we're still great friends. We parted ways, uh, and I it was 2016. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take some time to, you know, again, broaden my horizons. I enrolled into the PhD in, two, yeah, 2016. And incidentally, you know, within a few weeks, I met my current co-founder. And we just, it was actually, it was the first video game conference in Slovenia, I think. Uh, and we were panelists on VR together, and I remember us. Yeah, I know the story. Yeah, I know the story. This is a great story. Yeah, you have to tell it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 a long, uh, like long winding event, but like long story short, there was uh, it was the 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 pinnacle of the VR hype cycle. Everybody was you know talking about you know the holodeck and this and that and Star Trek uh, inspired fantasies. And I just remember that, like, w me and him having very similar contrarian arguments um, to what everybody else was saying. And I just, like, it was the first time I met anybody that was just even, you know, loosely resembling, like, my more non-traditional views on technology you know on working habits etc and you know he had blue hair and i'm 
I'm reminding it like it was love at first sight. You know, it's like this is the guy I want to, you know, ra raise hell with. And it, it, we just talked, and we saw that we we kind of uh, had very similar views, not on solutions to how things, you know, will or should look like, but on what are the problems that are, you know, actual uh, defining, let's say, vectors down or along which technology is going to evolve and. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that was a, a, a crucial moment mentally and, and, and like intuitively almost because you never know how or why, or let me rephrase the things you think you like in a founder never end up being the ones that the relationship is really based on that's that's such an important point yeah 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 and 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 with us it was uh, uh i think it was it was very uh, because we we to this day 4 years later we have very 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 similar dynamics and it's um it's just like keeping each other honest you know to a point where yeah as soon as you start believing your bullshit too much, you know, something's gonna break. And that's, you know, just a wonderful back and forth, um, pointing, you know, blind spots yeah. in each other's strategy. And that initial meeting at the Slovenian Games Conference was, um, that's why I say it almost like a myth. Um, but it, it, it's so easy to kind of point it out. Um, how and why that happened, yeah. and it was the start of light mass. And I think this is uh, this is going to be a special chapter in your memories book if you ever want to write something <laughs> like that. How I met my co-founder. That's that's something that uh, I'm Definitely. sure is going to be really interesting to read. Uh, so I, I know that your product is extremely complicated to understand or to explain, at least it used to be, but let's give it a try. And in doing so, maybe describe the main challenges, tech or business, and how you managed to overcome them. You know, in, in some ways, the question uh, is a testament to my inability <laughs> to pitch the, the solution because it, you know, the, if you can't uh, uh, boil down a problem into a understandable, you know, few sentences, you probably don't understand it too well. But yeah, yeah, sure. So long, very, very simply put, we're 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 making a rendering engine, or what we like to extend as a new type of naming, a physics engine or a simulation engine, rather. Um, because if you just use rendering engine, people are used to immediately connect it to something that um, does lighting. Yeah. If you use physics engine, people always gravitate to generally mechanics, you know, gravity, Newtonian mechanics. Um, but what we're what we're working on is technology that essentially enables 
It's a way more general way to simulate physics, which is not just gravity and light. It's also thermodynamics. It's also the wider electromagnetism um, part of physics. And point the point is that it's all computed from one part, right? So it's it's a way more general simulation technology than individual parts combined. And the reason why it's, uh, you know, technically it's a very challenging problem because computer graphics as, as such is a very niche, you know, draconian Sisyph Sisyphus work of computer science. It's very, Nicely put. you know, brute, uh, it's not brute force. I mean, in some ways it is, but uh, it takes a shit ton of work for you know very little increase in in um, in um, quality, let's say, or in some measures of quality at least. Um, and the other part is that to enable the next level steps or pushes into uh, the the uh, progress. Um, we leverage you know hardcore machine learning and not just machine learning but deep learning and hardcore meaning to a point that for one of the core problems in 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 let's say real time graphics where you draw stuff in real time not just you know leave it for a couple of hours and have a result as is often done in the movie industry, for example. In real-time graphics, you have problems where you have to have stable result across time, right? Yeah. And a lot, a lot of the challenges there are the same as, you know, a lot of challenges in machine vision, because machine vision essentially does very similar things than uh, graphics does they just do it on different source material it's usually camera or you know uh, 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 some some sort of radar that captures information but in in our case it's 3d objects so we 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 had to in a way modify or maybe even invent um, a new kind of neural network that helped us get to this point of stability in time or at least much more stable result in time than anything else that at least we could find um, would yeah. provide. And I think from this point of view, I mean, from this point of view, it's not hard to understand the the why and the, the what. I think most of people that try to understand what light mass dynamics is doing is the how. When you start talking about the how, that's where the complicated things appear, I guess, right? Yes, yes, and and a lot of it is connected to you know, uh, if you have something that can be demonstrably shown, in the sense that here it is, download it, try it. It's a whole different conversation than if than if you don't have something demonstrable yet. Absolutely, yeah. But you want to show to a prospective, you know, interested party that you do have something unique. And like currently, 
you know, we used to be in the in the part where we had to dis- describe how the how works, um, because a big portion of why the how works is on the AI side, the new type of neural net, yeah. and on on the graphics side is a new geometrical primitive which replaces discrete geometry, meaning polygons, voxels, etc., um, with a continuous representation of geometry um, that can encode an arbitrary number of dimensions, really, which means you can have one data structure for n number of um, things, to put it simply. You can encode in one data structure animation, textures, materials, whatever you want, right? Because right now, yeah. um, there's all sorts of, you know, different, um, re- uh, uh, rigorous pipelines that take up a whole bunch of time and, and resources. Um, so the how there is connected to how these two angles interact. The, the graphics innovative part and the AI innovative part and the 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 magic so to speak happens that one is enabled by the other right um, but none, none of this is you know nobody really cares if you know because we're not a, a an academic laboratory we don't at least at this point want notoriety writing papers about it uh, it just has to work, period. Um, so, so the, the conversation now is different to how, you know, when we were hanging out in, in Montreal, when we weren't at the, you know, this works, try it out phase. Um, yep. and um, a big, big deal is, I mean, a big barrier with us is, I mean, hopefully it's gone now with the new, Ampere architecture from NVIDIA, but the big caveat for our technology is that you need to have tensor acceleration, meaning that you have, you know, matrix multiplication accelerated on hardware. Um, because we are so, you know, in, in the long term, and I guess this can also be a discussion for your podcast, but in the long term, you know, we are, are almost our core bet as a startup that the paradigm of machine learning, um, um, the, the, the most long-term paradigm shift in machine learning is going to be something along the lines of tensor programming. Um, so in a sense, how can you transform the biggest possible array of current problems into a machine learning problem or into a, a dimension that the machine learning uh, approach can bring uh, a better result, and of course, the uh, the counter argument there immediately is that all sorts of problems are perfectly fine with a deterministic solution, which is faster yeah. and easier to program, etc. Correct. Um, but our wager is that a big portion of the digital space um, is gonna converge around real-time three D tools, and that. There is just no other solution right now, you know, in terms of how mankind does computation, that probabilistic answers will be the only, or approaches, let's say, will be the only way 
you know, where you can just have something and compute it down at the level of it's good enough is going to be the one way to kind of really, really bring about a shift in, com uh, not in uh, computation, but in workflows, um, which uh, 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 are, are going to really, you know, uh, in, in a lot of ways, AI hasn't done anything new, right? You know, the, in, in, in some ways, you can make the argument that the explosions of deep learning were largely fueled by the industry needs that were powered by excess data and parallel processing power, right? Yeah. And that the, the approaches that are currently mainstream were approaches that were there, you know, a decade or two decades ago. Correct. They, they were just enabled. You know, I remember when I was like in the middle of high school, um, I was a very famous professor at the University of Computer Science in Slovenia, world-renowned professor doing um, AI stuff and classifying um, uh, X-ray images um, with like uh, two-layer, fifteen-neuron. I'm kind of making okay. stuff up. Yeah, Super yeah. time neural networks. Um, but anyway, I, I don't want to digress. Uh, uh, so, so the, 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 the business and, and, and product problems that, that are above the stack, uh, in light mass dynamics are, so the, 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 the business challenge is, um, how do you now bring a piece of technology that in a lot of ways is too dependent on the, you know, cutting edge hardware that's going to sooner or later be mainstream hardware. How do you bring about a viable business case um, to a market that it is going to need it in three years? No question about it. Yeah. And they have to start investing in, in, uh, in, in coming about the change or investing in, in basically, uh, uh, you know, all these tech cycles in big companies are very long. So you have to, you know, think ahead. So how do you sell something not thinking it's too soon, but still, you know, making it enough of a, of a, uh, um, a case that your technology moves the needle far enough, soon enough, and making the case to a company, you know, if you start today, two years down the road, you're going to be on top. Um, so that business-wise, that is the challenge, you know, right now, because you have, to, I mean, we have to figure out which intersections of, yeah. um, or not, not in, maybe interactions of markets are the most ripe for this. Yeah. Um, so it has to be companies that don't have computational limit as consumers usually have. It has to be companies that solve a particular problem that is connected to a, a, yeah. a physics uh, uh, simulation. Yeah. Um, it's a very specific. It's a very specific niche, and it's a kind of like a yes. tight rope that you have to walk on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And and the reason, like. 
everybody agrees that down the line, this is going to happen. There's just questions how long it will take to get there. And that, that is the, 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 the core dilemma of, of us showing to a skeptic yeah. um, why it has to be now instead of, you know, three years down the road. Um, and um, we, we feel that, like, we have a lot of giants on our side, um, you know, most notably NVIDIA, um, especially with the acquisition of ARM. Um, it is, you know, without a doubt clear that their cutting edge view on PC is going to translate, you know, into many, many more non-PC, maybe even portable devices. Um, and, you know, that being said, the product side of things is what do we do? Do we sell the tech? Do we raise money and build the whole ecosystem around it? Um, uh, you know, do we do both? Do we go into professional graphics, you know, 3D design, architecture, uh, industry, that kind of thing? Do we go into movies? Do we sell, you know, uh, uh, parts of it? Um, and all of, all of, you know, these variables are in a way, you know, good news because we can take the, the, the stack that we have any which way. But on the other hand, it's bad because if, if, if you decide for too long, you know, you lose opportunities. So we're, we're trying our best to kind of, you know, ironically put, use a Monte Carlo method to shoot rays in all these different industries to see where we get the most optimal result and then decide decide for 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 one in in the short term and i think we found one um let let, let you know practical um um results be a surprise for the next few weeks um but uh, i i think we we have a we have a solid footing uh, uh where to go from here yeah yeah and such is the life of an entrepreneur or a founder or a startup. You have to try out different things and see what sticks. And uh, it's not like uh, a chaos or random stuff. Sometimes that helps. I know we had some conversations around the randomness in, uh, back in Montreal. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you also have to be strategic about these moves. And um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, some of these things are playing out okay for you guys. Um, and, uh, what are, what were some of the mistakes you made along the way? I'm for, for one, I'm sure that we had a lot of mistakes and for sure, we're going to make a lot of mistakes in the future. Uh, but for, for you, what were the key learnings? Uh, and if you start all over again, what would you do differently? I mean, it's that, that is one of those questions that I'm still not sure what to do about, you know, because in one way, hindsight is always 2020, you know, there's an expression in, in Slovene that I don't know if it's going to translate well into English, but it says after the battle, everyone's a general, right? So in a way, why do I like part of me feels that as a very destructive exercise because in an environment where you're constantly being bombarded, it's a very, you know, emotionally, intellectually, cognitively stressful 
it can be a very, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. If you start thinking, you know, backwards, what did I do wrong? What should I do? What? But on the other hand, like, you know, how a person learns is foundationally based on, you know, how a, you know, a priori distribution matches a posteriori distribution. Like, what is the, how much did you miss if you put the 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 uh, 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 a reference frame of what you wanted to hit in the first place, and then in turn kind of change your behavior so that the miss is smaller is smaller. But to be more practical in my answer, what would I do differently? To be honest, I don't know if I would do anything differently. Maybe uh, in terms of um, how I accepted my failures, um, I would have uh, uh, just taken in the, the the bad news in a more, you know, let's call it wise way, which is in turn again 2020, because you have to get those things under your belt. Otherwise, you can't get wiser in a way. Um, you know, like there's an unknown saying, the secret to life is getting smart faster than you grow old. But in terms of that, so that would be, you know, my, my first thing is that I would try to be more graceful in my defeats, um, defeats of battles, of course, because, you know, the long term is the war. What is the, the thing on the horizon that you are fighting for? Um, and, and it's a, it's a metaphor again from my fighting days because, or from fighting in general, usually the fight is over, even if it's not technically over yet, when you lose the sight of the finish line, right? Yeah. You, 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 you lose, you don't know what you're fighting for anymore. Yeah. You, lo- you lose your why, basically. Yeah. That, that just kills every, any person. So uh, that would be my one, uh, uh, comment in terms of what would I have done differently I would try to be you know more graceful in my defeats in the sense that um, I would keep my eye on the the thing on the horizon not so much um, on the, the the internal struggles um, because of because the ego struggles I'm going to put it directly because of the failure um, and the second, um, the second would be, I guess, connected to this one, um, which is that um, how I, like, I would bring my philosophical explorations into my practical day-to-day thinkings of whatever I'm doing, I'm doing much earlier on, because for a lot of like for the longest time, I was in a way embarrassed by my background, not embarrassed in terms of hiding it, but embarrassed in terms of, you know, philosophy has, especially in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, technologically developed West has this undertone of, you know, having, um, lost the connection with reality. And yeah, it's like this 
um, watered down drivel and it has no value, etc. But then I came to realize that, you know, it was that point of view that in turn um, ends up, you know, taking the short straw because as a philosopher, you know, and what I do is, you know, just hardcore old school uh, ontology and um, epistemology, uh, you know, as a, as a neuroscience researcher, at least in part, you know, you have to constantly ask questions, um, you know, the biggest possible questions, you know, otherwise, uh, even though it's like you can be a scientist, a computer scientist, you know, whatever, if you're not asking the bigger picture questions, like, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're losing yourself in the study of individual trees where you should be constantly thinking that they are part of the forest of a forest. Exactly. So it's a constant interaction of the two points of view. Um, the, the broad point of view, the specific point of view, the broad, the specific, or as in philosophy can be called a particular and universal. Point clearly, and I'm I, I'm super happy that you touched on this point. Clearly, your personal philosophy plays um, an important role into your day-to-day decision making. And do you? I, I just want to ask: Do you have kind of like a routine or a process? How do you go about, you know, deciding what's best for you, for your teammates, for your company? Yes. Okay. So I don't have a routine, ironically. Um, the only routine that I have is jujitsu, but it's not routine as in if I don't do it, my day falls apart. Um, I just have to have a certain amount of um, specific kind of training per week, let's say. And if I can't get it, I try to, you know, substitute with either, you know, running or whatever else. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, I guess it he- it helps you keep you grounded. Yes, you know it, it's always you know you always have to realize that there's always a bigger fish, and there's a the, like I don't like these general mantras, but there's a there's one I kind of like from from jujitsu, and it says if you're the best person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, and it, it's really like it can sound like this. You know, new agey um, motivational stuff, but getting through somebody just crushing you and, you know, destroying you and barely, you know, uh, breathing for 10 minutes and, you know, just getting out completely wrecked, thinking you're going to be on top, but then it's just the opposite. It, it's a, it's a humbling moment and it's a, it's a learning moment of how you deal with defeat. Um, so I guess it goes back to that question. If I, if I had done something differently, I would train jujitsu earlier. That would be my practice. Nice. <laughs> um, but, but going back to my philosophy or day to day stuff, in a way you could, you know, if somebody would to analyze me for sure, they would find a routine. Um, I also play a lot of video games as, Partly as a 
educational studying thing, but partly also because I just, um, you know, like playing games, solve problems. Um, and I read, I read a lot, uh, a very, very lot of books per week. Some in full, some in part. Um, I'm more largely inclined to read papers lately, um, because of the new, you know, the more brain science part. Um, mm-hmm. but in terms of how we, you know, you, I think part of the question was also, uh, how my philosophy, I think, guides behavior of people in the company. So me and Nate, my co-founder, um, are very similar in, in, in this regard. Um, we almost have no structure in the company. Um, and a lot of what I'm going to say is probably not going to work when we have more than 10 people. Um, or maybe it will. I don't know. But for the time being, it, 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 and you know, it, it, it seems to be the most efficient strategy that sometimes brings People that start working for us, um, it comes across as a shock. Um, but the way we are and the way we function is um, more often than not, we will present you with a problem without giving you an idea how to solve it. Because Nate is a thorough believer that a big problem of why certain things in technology don't move along fast enough is because everybody reads the same papers. And he's a firm believer in the creativity and ingenuity of each individual. And as soon as you read one paper, it is very hard to go out of that box um, of being kind of guided down the path of what somebody else was thinking. And yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting point. However, I'm also considering the alternative, which no, is trying mean, to reinvent the wheel. No, no, no. Right? It, it doesn't mean we don't read papers. It means that as you get to a barrier, which uh, let's say you get to a, a solution and then you say, okay, let me benchmark this with what everybody else is doing. And you kind of see what everybody else is doing. You see how much you missed. And then you take away what is to take away from, from the general accumulated knowledge on the topic. And then you iterate on your hybrid with that. And you like, I, I'm each time, like just a few months ago, we, we hired a, a, a student, a prospect, uh, from, you know, computer science with a problem that currently has no solution. You know, we, um, there's a, a side, you know, mini product that we're going to release that's, you know, very, very loosely connected to, to graphics, but we can use mm-hmm. part, part of our technology for that. Um, we presented the student with a problem that essentially has no product out there right now. They're just, academic research into what to do with similar problems in different fields. And we just said, this is it. This is what we want to do. Let's talk in a week. And, okay. and I, I was, and you probably scared the bejesus out of him. He was, yeah, I mean, he, he uh, the, the, um, 
there was also a mentor in between who I think is his uh, professor. I'm not sure. Maybe just a, a, a lab uh, uh, kind of a, a mentor. Um, but uh, the guy was like week after week after week. It was just exponential results. Um, you know, growth, interest, motivation, um, and a big, and it's also with other folks that aren't, you know, students that are more, uh, it's actually harder with, with people who are more veterans, um, who are used to, you know, having a, um, a dedicated, uh, working hand constantly following their, yeah. uh, uh yeah. their progress. And it, it is becoming, you know, very, very, very apparent how people who are truly passionate about some problem in technology, um, if you align them with a, you know, a course of where we are going is, let's say, there. And how you get there is entirely up to you. You know, it, it, you know, a lot of people say we, we place too much trust in them, but up till now we have not yet been. I was always more surprised, surprised in a positive way than underwhelmed every single time. So it seems to be working uh, for, you know, the, the needs that we have at the moment. But truth be told, you know, the, the nature of our work is, at least right now, it's not as engineering intensive yet. It's more, you know, R&D intensive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, let's talk in a year and see what happens, uh, you know, when, when we have 50 people and have to integrate an SDK, yep. you know. So I don't know in, in that regard how that would evolve, but at, at this point, um, mm-hmm. um, le- keeping individuals and having complete trust in their motivations um, seems to be what works the best for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And talking about teams, um, what do you think are some of the most important roles a product team should consist of, especially if it's an AI company at core? And maybe talk a bit about these teams as relative to the stage of the company. You already mentioned something about that from startup to a scale-up company. What I mean, there's two counter questions here, I guess. What, what do you mean with an AI company and what do you mean with a product team? Because an AI company can be okay. diametrically opposite you know, companies. Okay. Tell me more. Well, you can have an AI company like ours that, you know, solves a uber technical challenge based on, uh, you know, innovations in machine learning. Or you can have a, you know, company that has a recommender engine, you know, like Netflix or YouTube that are fundamentally foundationally different in how uh, you know, their, their AI plays a part. Uh, uh-huh. I see now. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, how their product teams, uh, you know, you could argue that we don't have a product team, then we will never mm-hmm. have a product team. Whereas a gaming company that also can use or uses AI, um, has a product team, right? 
Ah, I see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. So you're looking at these things uh, a little bit different. I always considered, for example, for you guys as the SDK being the product. Okay. Uh, however, even if that's the case, I understand how your product team is, a, is different or consists of different roles than a, like you said, a recommender engine or yeah. like a, uh, yeah, 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 I see. I see now. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, like I usually, you know, I, I know what you're trying to ask me. I'm just, but let, let, okay, let me, let me give you a, a, a broad answer. This is going to be a usually okay. contrarian, uh, or not usually, but somewhat contrarian response. I have this. Okay. So I have this notion, and I've had it for a while, that every single company should have a game designer. Um, not in, I mean, also a designer in terms of art, but a game designer in terms of mechanics, designing mechanics for games. I've come to 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 like a realization that game designers are some of the most um, cognitively flexible and productive and creative people I've met and because making mechanics for games in, is in, in some ways a a very general um, basic way of building an organism and how that organism functions and 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 when you look at it from a, a from this perspective every company is an organism whether it's on the human level or on a technology level or on the product level there's always parts that interact in a in a way like we said before uh tree and the forest and game designers i find have always very insightful um comments on various different parts of whatever it is you're doing, whether it's an autonomous vehicle company or a marketing company or a, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, a machine learning company that does recommender engines, like we said before, I find that, so that's my first part of the answer. Every company that deals with AI or, you know, any sort of digital Technology, or I'm gonna out on and say every company should have a game designer. If you're, even if you have a, a, a chain of stores. Yeah. So, so one was the game designer. Second was um, somebody who um, understands the technology at a foundational level. So, um, let's call it an, an uh, uh, expert engineer. Um, and then what I, I don't know if this translates to other, like I, I have somewhat good insight into games because that's where I kind of grew up in the industry. Um, I don't know if the, the, the role of a producer is a thing, um, across, you know, various specters of, of industries, but basically, you know, in the games industry, um, there's this joke that the job description of a producer is buy lunch. Um, and it's a, it's a nice ridicule of a certain social skill set 
that I think it's absolutely crucial in an organization, which is somebody that sees and realizes and also in a way manages all the subtle little team dynamics between people, right? Because one of the issues, for example, that we have um, sometimes, not all the time, was that if you're dealing with very specific engineering stuff, more often than not, you're going to have people who don't know how to deal with social anxiety, who don't know how to deal with social uh, pressures, problems, etc. And if you're somebody that for the vast majority of your life were in your room coding on problems, and now all of a sudden you're part of an organization and you don't know how to solve like simple little problems, like if somebody took your coffee uh, mug accidentally and you're, and I as a person, I'm going to keep having to put out fires because of you, you're useless to me, right? Because no matter how genius you are as an engineer, there's going to be more effort to make everything going than what your results will produce. So that's why I think the, the, the third role as, you know, whatever it is you call the producer in other industries, um, and the manager is not a proper word for this because usually what manager means is somebody who misplaces trust and uses, you know, all sorts of leverage to, to make people do whatever it is at hand. Um, so the, the point being is how you identify the nuances in dynamics in the team so that, you know, conflicts and fires don't even come up, right? So in a way, it's like, uh, it's like a teacher in a elementary school class where, you know, if you don't react to certain things fast enough in a proper manner, all of a sudden you will have a fire in your your classroom that you're not going to be able to put out without resorting to authoritarian measures, which are always, in my opinion, imp make you look impotent and l lose a certain amount of prestige, right? As many times as you have to raise the voice and, like, uh, uh, go all monkey-like. Yeah, you're you're just losing, you know, prestige and a certain level of respect. So I think that's the third crucial part. Um, besides, of course, all 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 the usual uh, uh, uh suspects, you know, of um, uh, having somebody who can communicate the ideas, somebody who can operate the ideas, sort of scrum master, etc. I also want to pick your brain on the diversity topic. Where do you see things heading? Because personally, what I've, what I've seen and experienced, I feel like there are more and more women involved in STEM, which is amazing. However, it still feels that we need to be intentional about it and be on the lookout for women that are interested in, technical, in a technical career. And I'm wondering, based on your experience, how the ecosystem feels in Eastern Europe versus some other places you've been in terms of the diversity of the AI talent pool. You know, to, to, 
to to be a Freudian about it. You know, the the problem is way too complex to crystallize into one psychosis. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I feel it's a like it's a cultural divide, right? On the one hand, obviously, you know, there has to be a net of motivation, not even a net of safety, but a net of motivation, which I guess loosely translates to what you said, intentionality uh, of how you motivate um, people, but any kind of minority that for some reason or another thinks it is not worth or capable or you know, whatever else to go into STEM um, because you know, usually it's those people that are the most talented. Um, because w what I would fear or what I fear with the, uh, a lot of the intentional programs and you can see it in a lot of the you know, huge gaming companies um, that it just becomes a a number, right? We have to have X amount of people, period. And it's a superficial, it's a very, very dangerous su superficial yeah. solution, which does nothing to tackle the actual problem, the cultural, social divide between a dominant, established um voice let's say that drowns out the other voices and just keeping score of saying yes yes we're you know very uh, progressive and very up to speed we have x amount of minorities and x amount of women i think it's just part of the problem because it does like i said it does nothing to shift the mentality to shift the cultural changes and that's where incidentally i think the what I was describing before with the role of yeah. the quote unquote of producer, um, that is a very, very, if not the most important role in that, um, because the way you change these things is by small incremental nudges in the way people act, in the way they behave, in the way they talk, in the way they make jokes. Um, so, but. To, to, to finish the, the, the response, so the local ecosystem in, in Slovenia, um, I would say in comparison to the West, the West is way more engaged in what you describe as intentional solutions, which you know in some ways can be described as superficial, but they do do something. Whereas I think at least in Slovenia, I don't know about other parts of, of um, Eastern Europe, because I think a lot of my compatriots would disagree that we are in Eastern Europe, but that's a different uh, uh, conversation. At least for Slovenia, um, I would say that we have less of the intentional pushes, but also that the cultural and social divide is less yeah. potent. I think it's uh, I think it's similar here in Romania as well. I mean. Uh... Women in STEM are about 30%, something like that. And that's why people here are not that intentional about it, because compared with Western 
countries, this is a good percentage. Of course, we're talking about numbers again, like I mentioned, and this is just uh, may not be uh, the right way to address this whole situation, but it's a start. Um, so yeah, probably this is why. Yeah, I, I don't know about the number here, but um, uh, I mean, it, it's probably not that hard to 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 find it. Uh, but I would say, you know, at least in general, um, I'm I very, you know, one of our VPs of tech uh, who's also running the data science program at the local university of computer science. Um, you know, there's a, I, I was surprised actually how many uh, women frequent, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the community like picnics we do or talks or sessions etc so uh, but i'm i'm yeah. sure like the, yeah. the there has to be a a a more um, efficient way of combining the two approaches uh that we talked about all right andres for the final special section on the podcast lightning questions and answers a series of fun short questions that we have to answer really really fast are you ready oh dear how fast <laughs> well as fast as you can <laughs> okay uh, game of thrones or lord of the rings lord of the rings star wars or star trek star trek okay what's your favorite movie oof uh stalker by tarkovsky Okay. Okay. Where can we find that? Is it on Netflix or? Oh no, it's not on Netflix. It's an it's a it's an old movie. Uh, I guess uh, you can. I don't even know if you can buy it, but for sure you can download it. All right. Cats or dogs? None. Care to venture an animal that you like, or you don't like animals in general? Or no, no, I, I love animals. It's just the cats or dogs. Uh, I, I wouldn't like either because there's a ton of work with both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, last book you read? Uh, the Limits of Mathematics by Gregory Chaitin. Okay. Was it good? Amazing. Uh, I also have a bonus question here, and I, I wanted to, to ask you, you know, if you were to pick between philosophy or AI, what would you pick? Philosophy. Okay. Interesting. Why? Oh, why? Yeah. Because philosophy is a way of looking at the problem. It has, uh, you know, it is foundationally different to what can even be called AI. Um, because AI, you know, in, in a lot of ways deals with how you solve something. It tells you yeah. nothing about how you look at a problem. So no matter how developed or developed any intelligence becomes, um, you could wager that philosophy will always, I mean, it, it's a way broader conversation, what people mean with philosophy, et cetera. But what I mean with philosophy is, you know, the, the, the pre-Socratic or the, the classical Greek, Greece. Uh, sorry, ancient Greek period, um, which is way closer to like a philosophy of science, if you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, AI is just a small part of a grand um, 
take on how to view solutions in a you know a a, a computer uh, in a computational uh, uh, manner or a field whereas philosophy is probably one of the most general approaches we have into how you can ask a question so hopefully ai will eventually evolve into one of the more one of the most general way we can answer the question that philosophy can ask cool man cool um andras it was a pleasure to have you and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me and with us how can people reach out to you for ideas and comments so first of all thank you Cyprian for the opportunity um for ideas and comments you know they can hit me up on linkedin or my uh email uh it's on the linkedin page so i'm more than happy to engage in you know whatever discussions or other shenanigans there <laughs> awesome thank you so much Andrew. yeah take care all right this was get your ai on podcast thank you all for listening and be sure to subscribe we're gonna post a new episode every other week so stay tuned for the next conversation see you next time